I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There is no better group of plants for flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to answer some of your gardening queries. This week... I'll be joined by an icon in the world of gardening. Star of Gardener's World and Gardener's Question Time, Mr. Roy Lancaster. Roy has a new book entitled My Life with Plants and we'll be discussing his fascinating career. I plan to speak to him a bit about Gardener's World because this year the TV programme celebrates its 50th anniversary And part of that celebration is to find what they believe to be the plant of the half century. Actually, they chose bedding plants last Friday. I think that was a cheating. You know, they didn't say whether it was spring bedding or summer bedding or autumn bedding or winter bedding. Uh, I mean, it's such a broad uh, group of plants that. And really, we've always used a really colourful bedding in the summer through all of those 50 years. If I had to make a choice, then I think it would be container plants, and for two reasons. We saw the introduction of container growing by nurserymen uh, in the 60s, and that allowed uh, gardeners to plant all the year round and really did make a dramatic change to uh, the practice of gardening. And then, of course, in more recent years, as gardens get a bit smaller and we have a far more hard landscaping paving and patios then of course we're growing in containers uh, patio pots and so container gardening container growing would be my thing for the uh, biggest development in the last 50 years on gardeners world they actually recommended that you could prune roses into may don't believe them for a minute Uh, a long time ago when i was looking after a really big rose garden i started pruning early in January there were a lot to prune anyhow and then did some beds every week right the way through to mid-April and those bushes pruned in uh, the first two weeks of April they really bled you know the sap was on the move and it checked the growth really quite considerably and the flowering that first flush of summer flowering was nowhere near as good it took nearly a year for the bushes to recover so take my tip and if you can get all your bush and standard and perpetual climbing roses pruned by the third to fourth week in March. Uh, The other tip too, if you're pruning autumn raspberries, don't cut them to the ground. Just cut the top piece off that had some fruit and then you'll find the lower pieces will fruit in June, July. Then you can cut them right out and the new canes will continue fruiting August, September and October. There's one other little thing that you can be thinking about too over the next few weeks. Garden centres will be offering lots of uh, little fuchsia and geranium heliotrope cuttings, all nicely rooted. Now if you buy them in good time, pot them up, grow them on the windowsill for a week or two, you can get another cutting 
out of the top. It'll make the uh, original plant much more branched, but also you can root the tip and so you'll have two for the price of one. Fuchsias are particularly easy, so give those a go if you haven't done it before. Well, I'm particularly pleased uh, today to welcome the great plantsman Roy Lancaster onto our podcast. Roy, I've been absolutely enthralled with your book, My Life with Plants. There seem to be so many parallels, particularly in the early years, with you and I. Yeah, well, I think you're a little, just a little bit older than me, Peter. I am, yes, yes, I'll admit to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm older than nearly everybody. <laughs> oh, I don't believe that for one bit. But I think we both go back to an era when gardening was, was different, and different characters and different beliefs and the way things were done. And, uh, and also we have the, the benefit of working with people, older people, who were masters of their craft. They were absolutely amazing and patient. And they look at a young lad straight from school and just beginning an apprenticeship. And they were so free with their information and their knowledge. And they were wonderful days for me. And, and, and writing this book, it's brought all these memories back as, as it, it expected to. The, the nostalgia of the way things were. Your earliest memory of plants were privet. I mean, the hours I spent trimming my father's privet hedge, eh? <laughs> we had the, the yellow one in the front, which didn't grow too strong, and then the really strong-growing green one in the back. Boy, that grew. You need to cut that three times a year. <laughs> well, I, I, we had a privet hedge you're right, around the front garden. This was uh, on a council estate in, in the northern fringe of Bolton, uh, which was then still a cotton town, lots of dark chimneys you could see from where where we lived. In fact, we were on a hill, and I never forget, though I didn't know its name, this hedge which seemed to have leaves all year round, and these sickly, sweet-scented flowers. Yeah, yeah. But above that, we had a, a laburnum, vossii, a hybrid laburnum, the golden chain tree, and again, I didn't know its name or where it came from. Uh, but I was aware, because we used to play on the a little patch of grass in the front garden, surrounded by the privet, and then we had these golden chains of these yellow pea flowers above our heads, and they were they had much better fragrance. And I was really pleased years later when I was able to see, growing in the wild, in the Alps of, of Europe, both parents of that laburnum. Oh, really? That really brought back happy memories, yeah. That was what? great. Well, now, Roy, you weren't wearing clogs then, were you? Because <laughs> <laughs> no. I used to dig in clogs. They're very warm, aren't they? Yeah. Did you wear irons or were they, did you have these rubber soles? No, no, I got just straight Dutch wooden clogs. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, I think these are Lancashire clogs, and I believe they were made locally, and uh, I believe they came from the wood of the older tree, a native waterside tree, the older. But to make them last longer... You could either have uh, these rubber soles tacked on, or, in my case, uh, they were iron shod, almost like being a horse and having, having to have new shoes. You just, just have that, the iron sort of nailed into the wooden base. But, of course, they, um, they were a form of protection. Uh, if we're ever involved in a kind of uh, a fracas, a fight, and, uh, and he's nearly always with a bigger boy, then the, he'd be aware of those clogs, and they might 
welcome into action if you're in a difficult situation. <laughs> well, then, Roy, you went into national service. Yep. And you didn't miss that horticultural opportunity either, did you? What? Oh, no. No, I was uh, trained. I, was, I joined the, I was drafted in the two-year national service, and I was drafted into the Law Regiment North Lancashire, an infantry uh, uh, regiment. This was in uh, August. Uh, I went to Preston for my initial training, and they were due in uh, late January. They were going to go uh, to Malaya. It was the Malaya uh, emergency uh, in the middle of that, and so we were going to go to Malaya to replace another battalion. This was the Law Regiment's 1st Battalion. And so I had my initial training, and at the end of it, 12 weeks, Yes, we had our practice with, with weapons of all kinds. Well, Roy, I don't understand why you carried the Bren gun all the time. Because well, I seem to remember we used to share carrying the Bren. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear, PZ, that uh, you know all about the Bren gun. Uh, that, I'm sure that's... An <laughs> well, I dodged carrying that if it was possible. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we eventually got out to Malaya, and on the came the day, we'd be doing some real jungle training, uh, we're in uh, a place called Johor. It's the, the uh, southernmost uh, state of uh, Malaya, as it was then. It's now uh, part of Malaysia. And uh, I came the day we were going to be issued with our weapons. And uh, I was hoping I'd get one of the new, recently arrived, uh, Belgian FN rifles. And uh, when the sergeant read out the names and the weapons they'd been assigned, uh, it came to me... And I was one of the smallest guys, slender, in the platoon. He said, Lancaster, Bren gun. <laughs> and I just stared. And I looked at the sergeant, and he just shrugged. I said, well, you know, don't blame me, Lancaster. That's what he says here. That was the <laughs> army way of doing it. And the other two Bren gunners in the platoon, there were three of us, were real strapping lads, like rugby types, the sort you'd expect. So I had to carry that around with me, which... Uh, if there was one good thing about it, uh, because of the larger m magazines for the ammunition, uh, I was given these two pouches, big pouches, on straps. And so I used to take the magazines out of the pouches and put them into my big pockets in my trousers. So I had the pouches vacant to put specimens in. And they could have been plant specimens, spiders, snakes, scorpions, <laughs> whatever came my way in the jungle. You're, you're absolutely impossible, Mr. Lancaster. Impossible. <laughs> can, can I take you forward a little bit uh, into Gardener's World? Because uh, okay. Gardener's World's celebrating the TV programme its 50th anniversary this year. Right, right. And, yes. and in your book, you write uh, fondly of the great Clay Jones. Well, he, Clay Jones and... <laughs> I know I'm speaking of people you knew very well, if not better than I did. You certainly knew them and met them be and worked with them, of course, before I came to have that opportunity and pleasure. And to me, I always looked upon him as the, the gentleman of gardening. He was a wonderful guy, bent backwards uh, in order to avoid offending anyone. And he was a uh, pleasure to listen to when he was uh, talking and interviewing people, especially... especially uh, uh, garden people who were a bit bothered and nervous about the cameras and the uh, the sound. Uh, there, a lot, there seemed to be a lot of crew and lots of cables and things. But I remember on one occasion of, of, of many when we were we were filming in a garden in Northumberland, and the head it was National Trust property, and the head gardener was a Mr. Moon, a lovely man, great gardener, 
And I was in the bottom of the garden near a sort of a water feature, which I was expected to talk about later. Uh, so I could hear all that was going on uh, from one of the vehicles behind me. What was going on at the top of the garden where Clay was being taken round a conservatory where he was shown this, what sounded like a giant fuchsia, uh, which turned out to be, I think, 70 years old. And uh, Mr. Moon was saying, well, this has been here 70 years. And I can still hear Clay's voice saying, well, if I look like that when I'm 70, I'll be well pleased. <laughs> and because of the things that go wrong, the, an aeroplane or some dog, something, he had to do it several times. So this, this statement has it, lived with me and in my brain forever. He always enjoyed uh, his love ham for breakfast. Everybody else had a hot meal. He liked to have this nice, cold, sliced ham with bread and butter. Uh, yeah, he was, he was a darling man, and uh, he sadly did not live to match the future. Sadly, he didn't. That's right. But, Roy, uh, on Gardener's World last Friday, we had Beth Chateau. So there's another punctuation in your broadcasting life. Well, the Beth Chateau has been part of all our lives. We've all learned from Beth in so many ways, either about plants um, or how to use the plants or how to design the garden to accommodate plants so they grow uh, well and give off their best. And she's such a, a delight and natural, and uh, you always feel uh, peaceful in her company. Um, you always know you're going to have uh, all the meetings I've had with her. Uh, you're always going to learn a huge amount, and if you're wise, you just... Let her do the talking and just try and remember what uh, she's telling you. You know, Peter, the last Gardener's World program I did when I decided that I, I really wanted to move on was with Beth Chatter in the garden. And I couldn't have wished for a better place to finish what had been a, a, a seven-year period of Gardener's World. A very happy period for me. Wonderful people. But what a lovely lady, too, actually. And, of course, I... I, I know her today, and I, I've seen her quite a few times in recent years. Yes, a really gentle lady. Indeed. But, but, but Roy, uh, I understand that uh, you're going to be at the Hillier Arboretum with your book early in April. That's right. Huh? Now, what a great combination that is, you with your book and that great collection of plants that you lived with for so long. Yeah, well, Hillier Arboretum is uh, a big chunk of my life. I joined Hillier's... Uh, after two years as a student gardener at uh, Cambridge Botanic Gardens, and um, and I joined this amazing nursery with this uh, long uh, record of supplying woody plants to uh, British and uh, European gardeners, and uh, they were established in 1864. So I joined them in 1962, two years before they were celebrated as a centenary. One of the first jobs I was given, I was told I was going to be doing all kinds of things, but one of them was helping with the catalogues. And um, they had in mind to produce this uh, special catalogue for the trees and shrubs and another one for the perennials to celebrate their centenary. And that, and that was one of the first jobs I had. And I worked with a, a wonderful man at the time who was, we'd been doing for the catalogues for, for quite a few years, Dennis Woodland, the late Dennis Woodland, who trained at Wisley. And he, he was so kind with me in his knowledge, and he taught me how to write, uh, for catalogue purposes, to write brief descriptions and try to get the across in a few words, two or three lines at the most, um, 
the essence of that plant. And and I'll never forget him saying, the thing to remember is write about the plant and think about the person who is going to be reading that description. You want them to know how much you enjoy that plant and what a lovely plant it is for the garden. So bear that in mind when you choose your words. I've never gotten that advice. And that was an amazing publication. Well, still is an amazing publication. Yeah. Well, it was followed uh, some years later, uh, uh, published in 1971, by the the Hillier Manual. Yeah. The little green book. I say little. It had seven to 8,000 descriptions. You know, I took that. It was published in 71, and it just so happened that the year previously I'd been invited to join an expedition the University of North Wales in Bangor, expedition to East Nepal on a plant hunting expedition. And uh, I agreed to do this as long as I could get permission from my boss, uh, Harold Hillier, later to be knighted. And uh, I had to go and ask him for permission. And I remember him saying, well, the Himalayas, haven't they been done? And I thought, well, uh, <laughs> I thought, well, been done? Yeah. I, said, I, know, I know that people have been going there since the... 1800s or late 1700s maybe but you see sir with respect i haven't been <laughs> and i felt i looked at him thinking oh what i said what and he said no quite right quite right and um and so i went but i took my manual with me i was amazing seeing so many of the plants that we described in the manual and hillier nurseries were growing for sale uh growing in the wild in the Himalayas. It was a revelation and a turning point in my life as well as my career. And I even took it, uh, a, a revision of it, to China in 1979 on my first visit. And on one occasion, I was confronted by a group of young Chinese. They weren't red guards. That, that time had just, just about passed. But they, they were jostling and, and coming down the street and waving these little red books. And uh, they confronted us. And so I took out my little green book, the Helia Manual, <laughs> and I waved that in their face, and they looked inside it and couldn't, be, couldn't make head and tail of the contents and gave it back to me. <laughs> so the little green book matched the little red book, eh? And, and far more interesting, I, I, for gardeners, certainly. Roy, it's been a delight speaking to you. You know, I hope lots of people come on the, the 7th of April to see you at the Arboretum. And I hope, too, we'll be able to uh, invite you back onto our podcast sometime soon. Really enjoyed being with you, Peter, my old mate. Thank you very much for inviting me. Last weekend, I spent a bit of time uh, digging my daughter's lawn in Reading. Complete renovation there. Boy, that was a bit tough. A lot of lime roots going through it. I had a few muscles I didn't know I owned by the end of the day. I'm not alone. The uh, latest reports on the uh, Garden Trade News top-selling lines tell us that uh, potting compost sales were the largest ever last week. And that's usually a clear sign that people are gardening. Pansy and viola sales up by 50 and 100%. Oh, and uh, apparently you're buying a lot of parsley and mint. So uh, those cookery programs must be doing something. I hope you have a really good uh, Mothering Sunday weekend. Lots of people go to garden centres uh, over that weekend. Think where you're going to plant stuff. Don't go home with too much stuff that uh, you haven't got space to put it in. Uh, and have a really good weekend. 
You can subscribe to the Sun Gardening newsletter at sungardening.co.uk and you can subscribe to the podcast by pressing the subscribe button on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.